are listening to Pastor Ben Eckel of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqanon.com. How are we sounding, Aaron? Are we coming in clear? Yeah. Okay, very good. So, uh... Second Kings 10, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we ask for your anointing and your blessing upon your word and that you speak to our hearts and uh, just tell us how much you love us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we read about this fascinating character, Jehu. He was, the, uh, he was one of the captains of the army under King Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel. And we know at this time the northern kingdom was full-on apostate. Right? They were given over to the worship of Baal, and uh, they, they're just off the charts, and God had to correct it. You know, he warned Ahab. You know, he gave him an opportunity to repent. He didn't do it. So he raised up this guy named Jehu, who was like, let me at him. He's like Scrappy-Doo. Remember that? Remember that cartoon back in the 70s? Way back in the 70s? Let me at him. Let me at him. Or the little chicken hawk, remember? Remember from Foghorn Leghorn? You know? I'm a chicken hawk looking for some chickens. Like Jehu's just like, how many you want to kill today? We got time. We got it, you know. So Jehu, I like his immediacy to his obedience, but we're going to see there's some deep flaws in Jehu's character. Jehu Jehu uh, is probably considered the best of the worst kings of the northern tribes of Israel. Right? We're going to see he's not all who's cracked up to be. But nonetheless, we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty God raises up men to do what he needs to do to accomplish his will for the world, right? And oftentimes we get bent out of shape because we don't like or agree to who's in office or who's in some world position or who's our boss or who's our this or who's our that. Hey, you know, take it up with God. But God in his sovereignty decided this was the guy for the time to get the job done. Verse 1 says, Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. Okay, what's his pastime? 70 sons, not including daughters. 70 boys. And Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? <laughs> this dude, this dude's right in your face. He's just like, pick the best, you know? You just... It's like the myth in prison. You pick the biggest dude and you go up and pop him. That never happens in prison because you will die. <laughs> but but he's just saying, I'm coming for you, man. Gives him a heads up, you know. It's really, if you think about it, that's really a portrait of Christ. You know, what Christ said to Satan. He's like, look, here's the deal. I'm going to defeat you. And here's what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm going to come down as a person, as a human being. I'm going to leave all my superpowers at home and I'm going to come play on your turf. Oh, by the way, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to give it to you in advance so you can study the plays I'm going to use. And, and I'm, 
we'll see who wins. He says, give me your best shot. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Satan on, on the day Christ was crucified, he was like, I got him. Then three days later, he's like, dang it. Right? It would have been a great day to be a Vikings fan Saturday. Did you follow that mess? Indianapolis. It's been 12 years. You know, God, my Minnesota friends were just losing their mind. Anyway, I don't even follow football. I don't know why you threw that in there. So anyways, um, but they were exceedingly afraid and said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons sent to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. And now the king's sons, seventy persons, were the great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was, when the letter came to them, they took the heads of the king's sons and slaughtered seventy persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel. Then a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Very good. Why would they do this? Why such extravagance? Intimidation, yeah. Fear. Send, sending a message. Lesson learned here. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? What? You just wrote a letter saying, kill all these people. He's, he's, he's kind of playing to the crowd, you know. You're going to find Jehu is a politician. He's playing to the people. Like he knows who told him that he, he did it, you know. He says, know that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. Well, he's right here. He says, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. So our takeaway from this portion is, you know, nothing occurs outside of the will of God. God's not up there going, oh. I can't believe your water bill is late again. Oh, I can't believe you got a flat tire. Oh, I can't believe so-and-so is in office. Oh, I can't believe, you know, these nations are moving upon the Ukraine or Israel. He's not up there going, oh. You know, it, what you and I are seeing in real time is we're seeing things falling into place, not falling apart. Okay? You know, as we think the world is so violent and so sophisticated and so brutal, then it's turned into that. I, I think the only difference between us and 2,000 years ago is we have phones now that can record everything, right? I mean, we see clearly how brutal it was. It's not like these guys had a guillotine to go and kill 70 dudes. They did this with swords, you know? People are the same, right? But the thing is, is the Lord's sovereign. He's in control. He's allowing all this. He's, he's dealing with the nation of, of Israel, spe specifically the northern kingdom, um, so yeah, he is right. Nothing is going to happen outside of God's permission. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left nothing remaining. I like that. You know, 
as I was being chastised this morning for the condition of my tool set in my basement, I mean, I started cleaning it a year ago. But, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. How many of us men have projects that are unfinished, right? It's one of those things where the Lord takes notice of when we complete our obedience, okay? And we're going to give Jehu uh, kudos for being obedient. He, he completes the job, right? So take inventory. What has God called you specifically to do? Are you doing it? Are you fulfilling your ministry? Are you growing your ministry? Are you discipling people? Are you increasing the footprint of what God's called you to do? So, uh, and he arose and departed and went to Samaria on the way at Beth-Eked of the shepherds. Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are you? So they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth-Eked, 42 men, and he left none of them. Now, these guys are related to Ahab, right? They're like cousins in a way. So he's not acting above and beyond obedience here, but he's going to get there. Now, when he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rahab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right, as my heart is towards your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is, Je uh, excuse me, it is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had made him ride in his chariot. Ooh. Sounds funny there, doesn't it? Spiritual pride. Look how humble I am. Look how great of a Christian I am. Right? You know, it's the story of the rich young ruler. Lord, I've obeyed you in all these things. What am I lacking? And the Lord goes, D -d 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 -d. this is what's wrong with you. Sell all your stuff and go buy more new stuff. No, he says, sell it and give it to the poor. But this guy, he's got a little chip on his shoulder, you know. Hey, look at me. That's what spiritual pride does. It always draws attention to oneself, right? I worship God better than you. Oh, oh. It's what we call virtue signaling. I love watching online. This is all I do all day is I watch Christians fight. And it really it comes down to I'm better than you. I read a better translation of the Bible than you. I go to a better church than you. I listen to better pastors and teachers than you. I do all this. I have better Christian t-shirts. I listen to better Christian music. I, 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 right? right? We all have what's called an eye problem. And you can't fix it with an ophthalmologist, right? You got to fix it with the cross. Uh, I like this. Jesus gives us a parable in Luke 18 for those who are taking notes. Because the most spiritual people in church take notes. I used to. All the time. No, catch the joke. Anyways. Don't smirk. You need a pen? <laughs> also, he spoke this parable to somewhere in Luke 18, chapter verses 9 through 14. He says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Underline that part. Are you trusting in yourself today? That they were righteous. Ooh, what does it mean to be righteous? To, to have a correct standing with God, right? You can have a self-righteousness, which is based on your works, or you can have a Christ-imputed righteousness based on what Christ does for us on the cross. It says, 
He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Ooh, you ever look down at other Christians? I certainly do. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Ooh. Yikes. Self-exaltation. Okay, be careful drawing attention to you. You know, the closer you walk with the Lord, you're going to have an increased awareness of your sinfulness. And that's a good barometer when you realize you don't measure up to Christ. But the Bible tells us it's unwise for us to compare ourselves to one another, right? You may look better next, uh, standing next to someone else, but on Judgment Day, it's just you're going to be compared to the Lord. <sighs> So back to our main body of text, verse 17, it says, And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests, let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worship of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rahab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal. So really what he's doing here, he's marking the bad guys, right? This is a classic shirts versus skins game here. So uh, you're going to see he's going to make his move. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened, as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, then Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought in the sacred excuse me, and they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Now, that's a very tidy term, refuse dump. It means latrine. They turn this into the privy, okay? 
this was like a, this isn't just a we got rid of the foreign god. You know, we we are, you know, smearing dog poopy on your shoes, as Steve Martin once said. It's this is this is an act of of absolute you know defiance here. But you know, these sacred pillars that they talk about. You know what these are? Phallic symbols. That was the key to the Baal worship, okay, is sexual sin. So, this is then Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. boy, buddy. However, did God tell him to do this? No. He exceeded his obedience, right? In a sense, he crossed the line. God never told him to do this. You know, the Lord desires obedience, not sacrifice here. You know, when you're in a position like his, when you're self-proclaiming how zealous you are for your obedience to God, oftentimes you can't, you, you don't know where to stop. You get prideful, okay? And with him, he kept going, he kept going. He was enjoying judging, right? This happens in the body of Christ when you feel that you are called to put on the sin-sniffing glasses and you want to purge the body of Christ of all its sin and you want to keep everyone accountable, right? You, 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 you start to enjoy it. And, and, you know, Jesus himself modeled this to us in the sense of before he entered into the temple with the whip, remember he cleaned the temple out, what did he do? Well, he was outside of the temple in Matthew 23 he says oh Jerusalem Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you are not willing see your house is left to you desolate for I say to you you shall see me no more till you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord you know Jesus before he whipped he wept right he didn't he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked Right. You know, as we look at the end time scenario and what's going to happen in the tribulation, we're going to see a lot of people are going to die who don't know the Lord. And it's going to grieve the Lord because the Lord did offer up salvation to every person who's ever walked this earth. But people will reject and refuse it. And that's going to break the Lord's heart because he knows what they're facing. And that's an eternity in hell. Right. But we have to be careful because we don't want to be cruel to one another, right? We want to be good white blood cells in a sense. We want to keep the organism alive. But, you know, Paul had to write a letter where he says, you guys are just biting and devouring one another. You could create an atmosphere where you think you're doing right by fault finding and being critical and pointing out everybody's problems. But you know what happens is you're just taking the light of the Holy Spirit off you and onto other people, right? It's easy to point out other people's flaws. And that's not so. We're not to enjoy when God calls us to do something in the sense of correction or, or discipline, right? Um, verse 29, it says, However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who, was made, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. You know what he should have been doing? Working on his own obedience, you know, what do we know about these, these golden calves? It was really their own man-made idea of Jehovah God, right? This wasn't a foreign God. 
This was their blend of, of true biblical worship mixed with nationalism, right? This is, this is their chicken soup for the soul. This is their family Christian bookstore. This is their K-Love. This is their whatever cultural stuff was blended, and they, they really just brought God down in their idolatry. They created God more in, their, in the image of a cow. I, who doesn't like cows? You ever drive through Wisconsin and go, ooh, I want to eat one of them. I do. I mean, you see a nice big black cow, you're like, ooh, I bet you that tastes good, right? And then you got that leather. Oh, you can make shoes. You can make a jacket, right? Oh, you got milk. Oh, then you can, you know, I want to meet the guys who said one day, hey, let's boil down this cow skeleton and make glue. Who figured that out, you know? like you, So a cow's a very versatile animal. There's a lot you can do with it, you know? Then you can mount the horns on your Cadillac or on the front of your 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 uh, chariot but let's remember what our lord and savior said right we covered this in self-confrontation it says and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but you do not consider the plank in your own eye or how you can say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye hypocrite first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck <clears throat> excuse me from your brother's eye yeah, you had work to do. One commentator said this. He says, do not be content to be strong against evil. Be eagerly ambitious of good. It is easier to be vehement against the abominations of others than to judge and put away your own secret sins. It says, uh, Spurgeon said this. This is a good one. He says, Jehu did not obey, excuse me, did obey God up to a certain point. It happened to be profitable thing to him to exterminate the old royal house of Ahab because it would confirm himself upon his own throne, but anything beyond that did not pay, and therefore Jehu did not touch it. Yikes. So why didn't he remove these golden calves? I think primarily it was because it wouldn't have been politically expedient. Right? This is so ingrained in their culture that he didn't want to touch that because it would make people upset. See, the true worship of Jehovah God, remember, there's a civil war going on at this time between Israel and Judah. And for them to worship the true God, Jehovah, they would have had to go to the temple, which was located where? In the southern kingdom. See, he didn't want to lose any of his people. He didn't want people to actually start going to where God prescribed them to do their worship. He feared the people. He would have had an insurrection on his hand. He didn't want to lose his position. I mean, you look at this too. Let's look at how this goes on practically in church. I mean, you look at what church is doing these days, right? As we seek to increase our footprint on social media and online and, and you know, have all our favorite pastor teachers or what, what churches will do is they'll have these off-campus uh, sites now where they will pipe in the pastor's message via Wi-Fi to another location onto a big screen, right? They're not raising up young guys to teach or preach. They're just elevating themselves. Or we've allowed Christians to get away with, well, you can just listen to stuff online or watch stuff online, and that's as good as church. It's actually tidier than church. There's no messes to clean up. There's no people that 
look funny or think different than you or say things you don't agree with, right? It's it's the same thing, and that's what this worship of the of these false uh, idols were. Is it was a convenient religion. It catered to man's desires. Where why go all the way to Jerusalem? I could just stay in my region and I can do my thing the way I want right here. Well, verse thirty. And the Lord said to Jehu, "Uh oh." Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. God does praise him, right? God does take notice of our good works and our obedience, I should say. You read the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, right? He always accommodates them for what they're doing right. However, you're going to see that there is a but. Jehu had a big butt. We're going to get to that. <laughs> In Hosea 1.4, it's interesting to note this. Although he was praised in this verse, it says, For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. We can see that both in 2 Kings 10.30 and Hosea 1.4 are true, and that Jehu was both good and and bad, right? Jehu carried out God's will, but he went too far and executed more people than God intended. Jehu carried out God's will, but he did it for personal glory and out of pride. Jehu carried out God's will, but he only did it partially. He stopped the idolatry of Baal, but he continued the sinful idolatry of Jeroboam. Verse 31, here's the big but. It says, but Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. He took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord. Partial obedience, right? He had a heart problem. His heart was cluttered. He was building his own kingdom. He was building his own ambition. He was all about him. What, what does Christ do for me? Right? What can Jesus do for me? How can I use Jesus to bolster my kingdom? How can I use Jesus to bolster my business? How can I bolster Jesus to look good to other people? Okay? There's some hypocrisy here. And God is calling him on the carpet right now. You know, part of... When a, when a king of Israel was to ascend to the throne, what was he supposed to do? Hand write out the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? He needed to simply review it himself and to take it into himself to see what God desired of him. We might see Jehu as a great Israeli patriot. He protested against Jerome and the house of Ahab for the harm they did to Israel and knew that to be strong, Israel must be cleansed of Baal worship. But he knew that Israel had to come back to the true God, but he was unconcerned about how they did it. For Jehu, it was just as good to worship Yahweh as the, at the temple of the golden calves at Dan or Bethel, and it was better for Israel if they did it at those places rather than at Jerusalem. 
When we compare Jehu to the other kings of Israel, we see that he was the best of a bad group. No other king in Israel fought against idolatry as much as Jehu did. Sadly, even he did not fight against it with all his heart. By not taking heed to the walk in the law of the Lord God, Jehu showed that he did not live a life of fellowship with God. He was a success in one regard, but a successful failure. How terrible a warning is the story of this man, that it is possible to be an instrument in the hand of God and yet never be in fellowship with him. Jehu's zeal, on the contrary, consumed and destroyed everybody and everything that stood in the way of his own advantage or aggrandizement, but never touched himself. He appears to have been a total stranger to real exercise of soul. Hating one sin, he loved another, and thus proved that the fear of the Most High God did not reign in his breast. He was merely a hired servant and received the throne as his wages, but a child of God he never was. It's a good Charles Spurgeon quote. Ay, ay, ay. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward and all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Error, which is by the river Anon, including Gilead and Bashan. Ask yourself this. Are you losing territory in your life? Are you losing the footprint God once gave you? Are you losing influence? How are your ministries? Have they expanded? Has your one good ministry expanded and included others? Or are you replicating? Or has God peeled you away? Has he taken things from you? Are you sitting around back to where you were years ago? You know, Do you even have a ministry anymore? Think of, just take a personal inventory. You know, and they, This has never been said of Israel. They've always had this territory and God peeled it from them. Now, you can study about these tribes here and the compromise they had, and they opened themselves up to compromise, but that's where Satan gets you. You know, whatever you step over Jesus to attain, you're going to lose, right? If you're going to be doing ungodly things to maintain your empire, God will take it. Rather, you'll forfeit it. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to do ungodly things to maintain what he's given you. You need to be obedient. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then, Jeho, then excuse me, Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. God did give him a long reign, 28 years. He did have the influence and the energy at first to truly turn the nation back to God, but his half-commitment to God left that potentially unfulfilled and points to a lack of any real relationship with God. You know, it's the same thing with us. You know, one of the things I've learned with, with church culture is uh, we call it the six-month spurt. People will come to church for six months and, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, pass the casserole. Oh, this is the best thing ever. Where's the t-shirts? Where's the stickers? And then they'll plug in, you know, they'll get to know people, make some peripheral friends, and then for about a year, 
you know, they laugh at the jokes, right? They, they, they get into the word a bit, but it really doesn't develop past the Sunday meeting or the midweek meeting. They're not digging in deep into the word of God. They're not submitting themselves to the vision of the, of the leadership. They're not applying themselves to personal disciplines. They're just joining the church, right? And what happens is they don't last, right? The six-month spurt people, you've seen it. People come here, five, six months, they're gone. If they push through, we get to see them for about 18 months. And then because they're, they're not invested into the work of God, it hasn't cost them anything. It's just a reflection of where they're at in their own personal walk. And they'll church hop. And they'll say things like, well, I'm just not being fed here. Well, you're supposed to be eating at home. You know, if you only get fed once a week, what are you going to look like? You know, you need to be at home. This is a place to, to share love and to demonstrate agape love to one another and to be encouraged. But we need to foster a real dedicated relationship with God at home outside of the normal run-of-the-mill church activities. But that's all the scriptures say about him. The great lesson to be drawn from this remarkable man's life is that of being constantly on guard as servants of God, lest we be found doing his work, whether it be in the exercise of discipline or the accomplishments of reformation in a spirit of unbrokenness and without due exercise of heart and conscience between him who is a God of judgment and by him whose actions are weighed. Don't ever think just because God's using you in your evangelism or you're doing this or that in a, in a particular ministry that, number one, God needs you. Number two, he's not okay with our personal sin, right? It doesn't give you a pass. And we say those things, don't we? Yeah, but look at all the people I've shared Jesus with while you're doing something ungodly. You think just because you're in the game, you know, God can't take you out. Well, be careful. You know, there's a greater application too. You know, in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you... Who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So although we are to be about moral purity and the doctrinal purity and keeping the church nice and tidy and pointing out things and restoring people in the community, we've got to preach to ourselves first, don't we? Right? We should be harder on ourselves than the people around us. You know, I find that in seasons where I've been super critical of other people, it's because I'm neglecting the housekeeping in my life. Right? There's things that were popping up in my life that I, I, I see have crept back in my camp old besetting sins or old bad habits. And, and so in my righteous indignation, I want to, because I hate the very things in me that are on other people. Isn't that true? Right? We can clearly see, you know, 2020 what's wrong with people because we know what's going on in our hearts. We want to go after them. You know, we're to bear up with the failings of the week, right? We are to, we are to bear our own load. We are to examine our own work, right? 
And that's what's going to help us restore one another is like, hey, this is how I let it work in my life. You know, it's easy. I, I, I love this, especially parents. Oh, don't, don't you get all sorts of free advice from people about kids? Isn't that great? And you're just like, blow it out your ear. Yeah. Now, we don't get a lot of advice about our kids because they're perfect. But um, even when they're thrashing the house, you know, can do no wrong. Uh, so examine your work. Could you be a Jehu today? You know, we are called to help one another. But, you know, obedience, what did Jesus say? He says, has any of us resisted sin to the point of shedding our own blood? Right? As we're going through self-confrontation, we're now getting into the juicy part. You pick the one sin you got to work on. And you're like, But that's what we're supposed to do, you know? God's not trying to shame us. He's not trying to put a burden on us, right? He's preparing us. He's forming Christ in us. And, and it does take work. It hurts because we have such bad habits, such ingrained habits, and we have such rebellion still in our heart. You know, you realize as you walk with the Lord for months, days, years, how much of a carnal, vomitous, wretched, fleshy bag of pus you really are. That's good. Keeps you humble. Right. It's what happens when we start saying I've arrived or I've I've achieved or I I got I'm good. Lord, I don't need your help from here. Yeah. Right. Pride goeth before a fall. So let's pray.